Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Can we just raise our hands? Everybody in this house today, I want you to raise your hands. God, we worship you. God, I don't want to go a day without your presence. Jesus, in every heart, God. In the name of Jesus. today and if you listen and you'll apply it your life can be changed amen I do want to greet you on behalf of my husband pastor Staten he is ministering in Wisconsin today um, they really love him up there this is the second week in a row that he's been in Wisconsin um, he'll be ministering for brother Roberts tonight so be praying for that church be praying for pastor he wanted me to tell you he loves you he misses you all but he will be back and he won't be traveling again for quite some time so y'all get to hear him preach amen <laughs> amen and I, I I encourage you, of course, I'm married to him and I'm his biggest fan, but he's an incredible minister of the gospel. Amen. He's an incredible preacher that preaches the gospel and he's an incredible pastor. Amen. I heard it said that, you know, everybody wants a preacher, but not many people want a pastor, but he's good. 
He's gentle, <laughs> and he preaches, you, preaches to you like you need it preached. Amen? Amen. I want to, um, today I am not preaching, but somebody very close to me is, and I'm asking you all to get behind her, our daughter Cameron, who is going to be ministering to us. And I have absolute 100% confidence that God has spoken very clearly to her. I know her prayer life because I live with her, and I know she has a prayer life, and I'm confident in that, and she hears from God. She is wise beyond her years, so those of you that look at her as a young buck, I need you to take that out of your head, and she's a voice from God today. Amen? Amen. And if, if pastor trusts her behind this pulpit, you can trust her behind this pulpit. Amen. So Cameron, I want you to come. I want you to take your liberty and preach what God has given to you. I don't know what just hit me. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a girl, so the emotions, you know. Um... I'm so thankful for the presence of the Lord today. I'm overwhelmed right now because God has a word for somebody today. As I was studying this week and preparing, I just, you know, you keep questioning, okay, God, is this what you want to speak? Is this just me or is it, is it you? I want to be in the vein of your spirit as today. As we're worshiping and as his presence has made himself so known today, your deliverance is here today. Joy is yours today. You don't have to leave. And I'm not even just going to say that. Today, you're not leaving the same way you came. If you make it up in your mind today that you're not leaving the way that you came, if you've been battling addiction, if you've been battling strongholds, depression, if there's been things that have been in your life, I don't care how many years you've been dealing with it today, you are leaving different than you have ever been before. Those strongholds are breaking off in the name of Jesus today. And if you'll just believe it and you'll receive it, I believe God's going to move in a mighty way in your life. I want to give thanks to Pastor, um, my parents, and my, you know, my mom, my dad, just for trusting me because this is such an honor. You know, I've preached before on Sunday night services, and Wednesday night I've been able to teach, but to preach on a Sunday morning, there's just something that, there's just an honor and a heaviness that comes with the pulpit, and I don't take it lightly at all. So I want to thank all the leadership who put me in this position today, who have all trained me. I mean, since I was born to just love this apostolic truth and to love the word of God. And I'm so thankful that they taught me that because without that guidance and leadership, I would not be standing here today. So if we could turn our Bibles to Esther chapter four, and we're going to start with verse 13. And I'm going to do my best today to uh, not preach super long. And if the Lord leads me to do it, then I will try to not make you all mad at me today. But like my mom said, you guys, if it's your first time, you owe it to yourself to come back. When pastor's here, if you guys don't like it today, don't, don't write it off. Just come back next week, okay? Don't blame it on him. It's not him. It's me. All right, so we're going to go ahead and start with verse 13. It says, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, 
Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? If we could all pray over the word before we're seated. Lord, I thank you for your sweet presence that's in this place today, oh God. I thank you so much, Lord, that you've got a plan. God, that you have something great in store for this service today. You have something great in store for every life, oh Lord, and I pray. Use me, Lord, as a vessel, God, that the word that goes forth today from my lips would be anointed, oh Lord. God, I pray that you would speak, Lord, to every situation, oh God, to every hopeless situation today. God, let there be hope, Lord. Let there be joy, God. Let there be encouragement in the word. And we thank you so much for what you're going to do today. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're going to help me preach, you can be seated. Amen. Alrighty, so I have grown up in a home, if y'all don't know, I've got three sisters, okay? And I'm the second oldest of four girls. Yes, four girls, no brothers. Got some brother dogs, Huntley and Jojo, and they're like my brothers, you know, but not really. Um, so I've got Brooke and then myself, Riley and Dakota. And we all have very different personalities. I mean, if y'all know us, we have different personalities. My mom talked about like the disc personality assessment thing. Um, and we all are very, very different. It's really funny that just four girls could be so just different in their personalities, but there is something about all of us that is pretty much the same. And we're all, we have very strong personalities. <laughs> They're different, but we all have pretty strong personalities. And one of the stronger personalities that lies in the Satan household is Dakota. Um, and I wasn't gonna say the name, but I just said it. So there we go. Um, and I love her so much. But if y'all remember as a child, she just had some, she's like the cutest little girl. Like I watch videos and I'm like, oh my gosh, like she's so cute. She's so adorable. And so I saw a video of her whenever she was like around three and two, and that was just a funny stage of life for her. And I remember a time when she was in the car and she kept kicking my dad's seat. And this is how it went. She was like kicking his seat. She's like three years old. And then I was like, Dakota, he's driving. He's like, Dakota, please stop kicking my seat. Well, she's just like going, she does not care. She keeps kicking his seat. And so he says again, Dakota, please stop kicking my seat. Well, she does not care. She just keeps kicking his seat. And so we hear the dreaded words no kid wants to hear when you're on a road trip. Dakota, if you don't stop, I'm going to pull this car over. Nobody wants to hear that, okay? Now, the fear of God strikes in me when I hear, when I heard that, I'd be like, yes, sir. Like, I'm going to be fine. But Dakota, in her boldness and just her honoriness, she goes, I will never give up. And she just gives it to him. And so I don't remember what happened from there. Probably a good thing I know. I'm guessing the car got pulled over. But she said, I will never give up. And she had some boldness that, you know what, the odds may seem against me, but I'm not giving up. Now, kids do not, like, disobey parents. Be like, Sister Cameron said never to give up. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, you know, using this as an example of a bold young lady that I knew. Because it reminds me of another young lady that had some boldness in the face of a dark situation. And I want to talk about her today. Her name was Esther. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard of the Veggie Tales story of Esther? Please raise your hand. So, oh, that's a lot more than expected. Okay, that's awesome. So, the Veggie Tales story of Esther, I'm not going to lie, I actually thought like everything that was in the Veggie Tales Esther was what was in the Bible. So, like, 
whenever the king needs a new queen, I thought there was a talent show, and they all, like, would sing and, like, be, like, it was, like, American Idol, and I was, like, this is cool, like, man, they had American Idol back in Persia, that's crazy, like, I genuinely thought that that's what was happening, that they had all the veggie tales, and then, like, instead of the gallows, they had the banishment land of tickling, I was, like, no, the land of tickling, that sounds terrible, like, that was enough for me to be afraid, to put the fear of God in me, so, I mean, you, you know, land of tickling, that sounds terrible, perpetual, forever being tickled, that's, that's terrible, y'all, I, mm-mm, ain't no way, anyways, that's not what happened, but that's what I thought for a long time that happened with the story of Esther, but actually what happened, I'm just gonna give, like, a quick little summary, and then I'm gonna get started where we're going today, The king of Persia, he needed a new queen, so he chooses one, and after much deliberation, it was Esther, who was a Jewish girl that was living in Persia. Sometime after they were wedded, about five years later, Mordecai, who was Esther's cousin, and Haman, the right-hand man to the king, they had an encounter with one another. And Haman demands Mordecai to bow down to him. Well, Mordecai, he was a Jew, and he wouldn't bow down. And after becoming filled with rage, Haman wants to destroy all of the Jews, not just Mordecai, but all the Jews. So that's like a really short summary of where we are right now. So when Mordecai, who is Esther's cousin, gets word of the plan to eliminate all the Jews in the empire, he asks Esther to intercede with the king to save her people. She hesitates at first because before, you know, coming before the king without him summoning her was cause for death. Like she could be killed even though they had been married for five years. It was a capital offense and she could very well lose her life. But in this moment, As the darkness surrounding the situation seemed like it had the final say, Esther had a choice. And yeah, we all know the story ends well. And, you know, she's got a book in the Bible named after her, and she was victorious. But in the moment of darkness, in the moment of decision, when everything seems to be going the opposite of your way, how can you stand and say that I'm called for such a time as this? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm called for such a time as this. You see, Esther, she found herself in a day and age very similar to ours. She was in a world, but not of the world that she lived in. She lived in a palace while her people were facing persecution. And surrounded by darkness, it is really hard to say that I was made for this. So Esther, how did you do it? How could you stand in the face of death and say that I was called for such a time as this? I present to you three mindsets that I believe Esther had to obtain in order to stand and walk in the authority that she had in the palace. So I don't know sports that well at all, really, like not that well. I really don't know them at all. But the little bit that I do know, I know that if you're going to be facing somebody, you know, the other team, you got to know a little bit about who you're going up against. Like, for instance, if, you know, Cheech is just ping pong master over here, and he has been training in the art of ping pong for years. And I get up, and I'm like, yeah, I can beat him, and I'm not that good at ping pong. That's probably an unfair match because I have no clue that he is the ping pong master of all time. So I haven't studied my enemy. I haven't, you know, done any research. I have no knowledge of what's going to be happening in this match, and I'm probably going to get blown to smithereens by ping pong master Cheech over here. And so that's kind of what's going to happen, though. If you're, you know, have a football team, you've got to know, okay, what are they probably going to do? Because I I don't want to be predictable and just do what I always do. But if I think that they're going to make this move, then I'm going to put the right people in this position so that way I can counteract whatever they're going to do. So you've got to study your enemy. And the first thing that Esther had to do, and we must do if we are to remain in this fight in this day, is we've got to remind ourselves who our enemy is. Haman. Haman was the enemy of Esther. 
And he was a man and he used his power to intimidate Esther and the people of God. This sounds like a very familiar foe that we're facing today, church. We're in a world where the enemy of our soul is a straight up bully. He likes to intimidate using sin and perversion to make us feel like everything that we're up against, we can't, we can't deal with the Holy Ghost that I got when I was, I was seven years old. It must have expired or something because all the things that are going on in the world right now are just too much for the Holy Ghost that's inside of me. Suicide rates are higher than ever before. There seems to be a new sexual identity every week. Schools seem to be completely godless, indoctrinating children with anti-God narratives and ideas. Violence is escalating. Wars, rumors of wars are going on. Perversion is everywhere. And depression and anxiety seem to have become a way of life that people just cope with. Wow, Cameron, way to encourage us today. But I'm just being real. The world around us is a dark place. We are the people of God right now, and we're living in a time of Persia. And there's darkness all around us. And I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's not going to get much better. But there's something that we can do today, just like Esther had to do. And we can recognize the enemy, the tactics, and the plans of the enemy. Because if we're smart and we're aware of it, then we can point to the devil and say, devil, I know exactly what you're up to. I'm not going to be deceived by the things that you have for me. I'm not going to fall into these traps because I studied you and I read the back of the book and we win. I know that my victory is in the Lord. I know that my victory is here in this place today. Come on, do you believe it? Do you believe that you're a victor, that the enemy has no hold over you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You don't have to be overwhelmed today. You don't have to be defeated by that enemy that you've been dealing with for so long. But today there is freedom and there's deliverance. And I want to go ahead and just give you a little bit of a history lesson about Haman because Esther, she found herself in the same time, same situation we're going through. So let me tell you about some insight on Haman real quick. See, he decided to destroy an entire people, convince a king to do this, arm an entire militia, and fund a war machine, the gallows, just because of a personal vendetta against one person. I don't think so. That's a lot of work just because one guy, random guy in the street made him mad. But I present that the struggle between Mordecai and Haman is a reflection of a much more fundamental battle at hand. And just as the enemy of our soul... It's not just against me because I showed up to church on a Sunday morning. There's something much deeper going on here. And I think that we should know as the people of God, don't you think we should know what the enemy is up to? So we're going to talk about it today. To understand this conflict, we're going to look at the lineage of Haman. So Haman, he was a direct descendant from King Agag. King Agag ruled over the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were enemies in the past, not just of the Jews, but enemies to God. The Amalekites were known for them attacking the Hebrews during their exodus from Egypt. And God commanded all of the Amalekites to be annihilated. First Samuel actually records this. It says in chapter 15, verse 1, let's go ahead and start there, where Samuel, he records this. It says, and Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and donkey. God commanded Saul to destroy every last bit of Amalekite blood that existed. It seems pretty intense. You're like, what, why would he, you know, not just the, the men, maybe just the corrupt people, but no, every bit of Amalekite was supposed to be destroyed. And if Saul would have obeyed him, then I don't know that I'd be telling this story today. Because Saul, 
he almost completely obeyed God. But it says that Saul almost destroyed everything. That key word there, almost. Verse 9, it says, But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, they would not utterly destroy. And all that was worthless and despised, they devoted to destruction. You see, by partially obeying God, Saul led room for a Haman to be born. If Saul would have completely destroyed every last bit of Amalekite blood like God told him to, there wouldn't even be a story in the book of Esther. There would be no Haman. Haman wasn't even supposed to exist. But because Saul partially got rid of the things that God commanded him to get rid of, it produced a Haman all these years later. The people in the, day, the, people in the land of Persia, all of the... They were not supposed to even be dealing with Haman. That, that wasn't even supposed to be a thing. But because of partial obedience that lived in somebody's life, because of partial obedience, and I'm not saying direct, direct disobedience. I'm not saying he completely said, I'm not even going to do anything. He thought he was doing good. He was like, okay, I'm going to get rid of everything that I think. Whenever I place my judgment in it, whenever I give my input, God, I'm going to give my input because, God, I don't, I don't think that you know the situation. Like, this means a lot to me. These people, I can't completely cut them out of my life. So I'm going to give my input, God, because I just think this is going to work out better. I don't want to offend anyone. But whenever you let partial obedience live in your life, you're birthing a Haman from your lineage. You're going to be allowing something to destroy the promise of God years later. And I just want to stand today and declare that I'm not going to let partial obedience birth a Haman in my life. I'm not going to let something come from me because I wouldn't completely destroy everything that God told me to destroy. I want to encourage you today, if you've been dealing with sin in your life, cut it off. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how big the sin may seem. I don't care who finds out about it. It is not worth a Haman being born from your lineage. It's not worth it. It's not worth it because the devil, he's come to steal, to kill, and destroy. To destroy. He doesn't want to be your friend. He doesn't want to just, you know, he, he acts like he wants to have this deal with you, right? And, you know, I'll give you this, you give me this. No, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you let just a little bit, a little bit of disobedience to God live in your life, then it's going to kill the promise that God has for your life. So I just want somebody today to stand on the word of God and say, God, I'm going to obey you. I don't care how big the sacrifice is. I don't care how much it costs me. I don't want just partial obedience, but I want to completely obey and surrender my will to yours, God. I don't want my judgment. I don't want my input, Lord, because I don't see the end to the beginning. But the word of God says he is the beginning and the ending. He is alpha and omega. He is the creator. And to him, there is no end. So my God, who sees all, who is all, who knows all, I can trust in him in my situation because he is for you. He's not against you. He's not going to leave you whenever you cut those things off. You don't have to worry about that because the enemy, what he's going to do is he's just going to, he's going to leave you. If you let go of your side of the deal, he's going to say, okay, I'm, I'm leaving you. Whatever situation you're in, but God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And today you can stand in that confidence that God is not going to leave me, that he's going to finish what he started in my life. And I can trust him that he is good, that he is faithful. His promises are yea and amen. In the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody just worship him today. If he's ever proved good, whenever you've cut those things off in your life, whenever you've remained faithful, he has always been faithful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So as we fast forward now to the story, we did our little history lesson. Fast forward to the present time in the book of Esther. 
And Haman, here he is. He comes with a seemingly heroic picture. But we know that this isn't about him trying to be the king's best friend. He comes up to the king. He's like, king, there's a group of people that they're like not going to bow down to you. And so I think we need to make this law that they, if nobody bows down to you, they get hung. This isn't him trying to be the king's buddy. This isn't even him being mad at some random guy that won't bow down to him. But we know that this was a deliberate mission to destroy the people of God. Because what he, he was a little bit that was left from whenever King Agag was supposed to be destroyed. He was the remnants there. So he said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to destroy, destroy the people of God. This is my opportunity. But you know what? Today I can stand in confidence against my enemy because I know that the attack that we're dealing with today is nothing new. That the same devil that I'm facing today, the Bible says that whenever he was in the garden, that serpent, God commanded him to slither on his belly. That he has no dominion, he has no authority in my life because that same serpent that was in the garden is the devil that's attacking you right now. The same devil you're facing, trying to make you feel depressed, trying to convince you that you're alone, that you can't have victory, is the same devil that was crushed under the feet of Jesus whenever he was was buried whenever he was resurrected after Calvary. And I want somebody to remember today, remind your enemy exactly what happened at Calvary. Somebody can declare to your enemy that you may think you have the victory, but I want to remind you, you were never supposed to exist. Depression, you were never supposed to be born in my life. You, addiction, you were never supposed to exist in my life. So right now, just like what, what happened back at Calvary, I'm crushing you under my feet. Come on, somebody declare that today. I'm crushing the enemy under my feet. I have the victory. I am a victor, not because of anything in me, but because back at Calvary, you were destroyed. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. The enemy has no authority in my life today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Come on, can somebody just declare that? Devil, you have no authority in my life. In the name of Jesus. You see, the devil, he knows his time is coming to an end. And this time, it feels like we look at the world around us. It may seem like the enemy is kind of running things in this world. There's carnality. There is just so much perversion and evil in the world. But what's happening is he knows that this isn't his time because his time is about to be up. Just like Haman knew that destruction was inevitable, the enemy knows his destruction is inevitable. I'm convinced the enemy knows more about the word of God than some of us do. And I'm speaking as to myself that this convicted me because the enemy, he knows that his time is up. He's read, he knows the words of God. God says, you know, whenever the name of Jesus is spoken, enemies, the devil flees because he knows the power that's in the word of God. And so I want us, I wonder if we could believe the word of God like the devil believes in the word of God. Because right now he's scrambling and he's saying, if I can just make a little bit of chaos in their life, then they're going to give in. If I can just give anxiety, if I can have financial turmoil, if I can have family issues, then they're going to give up. But I can say no, devil, because I was made for such a time as this. The darkness, this isn't your hour, but this is my hour. I was made for such a time as this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So after we've reminded our enemy, Haman, who he is, the next matter that is crucial is we must be reminded of who we are. Esther had to remember who she was. The favor of God, it has been proven to be on Esther's life up to this point. Esther found favor with the king, and as previously stated, Esther was a Jew. And it's, scripture records, actually, that Esther's name was Hadassah. That was her Hebrew name. 
Hadassah is probably the name that all of her friends grew up calling her, her family, you know, all of her Hebrew friends, they probably called her Hadassah. And the name Hadassah, it means myrtle tree. And in the book of Zechariah, myrtle is used to describe the righteous. Righteous is just doing the right thing. But if Esther went by the name Hadassah in the palace, it would be a dead giveaway that she was a Hebrew. So instead, she went by her Persian name, Esther. The root word of Esther is the Greek name Hester, which means hiddenness. So here we see Esther's righteousness is now hidden. I can only think if Haman knew she was a Hebrew, a child of God, the righteous, how differently he would have acted. I don't think he would have been as comfortable as he was parading around in the palace just talking about all these plans to destroy the people of God. If he knew that the wife of the king was a child of God called righteous. And remember that Haman, he knew that God was out for his destruction, but he didn't know that there was somebody with favor with the king in the palace. Haman had no clue that a child of God had such favor in the house of the king. But you see, Hadassah, I believe, forgot her name. When you hide your God-given identity, you forgot who God called you to be. Having been in Persia for so long, God called Esther everywhere, and she forgot her identity. Instead of doing the right thing, she ran into hiding. Some of you are called to righteousness. God has called you, and you know that there's an anointing on your life, but you've allowed the voice of this world to speak over who you are for so long that you forgot your God-given name. You forgot about the calling on your life. You forgot about the times that you've come to an altar and God spoke promises over you. He's spoken things over your life and some of you try to deny it because you've been in Persia for too long, Esther. You've been called Esther for too long, so you've been in hiding. But I wonder if there's somebody here today who wants to remember that I'm not Esther, but I am Hadassah. I am called righteous by God. I have a calling and a purpose on my life. What the enemy tried to convince me is dead. God says, you are righteous. I've called you Esther to do the right thing in the palace you know something that I thought about in this story is any of the Hebrew girls could have been called why not any of them there were a lot of the Jewish girls there that could have been chosen by the king but I believe that this was not just because of some you know favor that just the king of Persia had but no God's hand was on Esther from the day she was born because she was called righteous the right thing and God called her to a, the palace for such a time as this because he needed somebody in the palace who was going to do the right thing when it mattered he didn't need an Esther in the palace he didn't need somebody who was going to go into hiding and act just like the rest of the world and act like nothing was different about her but he needed somebody who was going to stand in boldness and authority when Whenever all seemed against her, whenever hope seemed like it had given up, he needed somebody with authority to say, God, I'm going to do the right thing. I remember who I am. I remember God of my ancestors, and I remember that he is with me, that he calls me righteous, that he calls me chosen. Out of all of the maidens in the land, he chose Esther. Somebody today, you see yourself as damaged. You see yourself as, as, as unwanted, a failure. You see yourself as a mistake because you've been listening far too long to Haman. You've been in this world. And the Bible says we are in this world, but not of this world. But you've started to become of this world. Galatians 4, 7, though, it says you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are also an heir. That means that God says everything that I have, it's yours. Everything. Everything that he has, it's mine. 
This isn't the word of Cameron. This is the word of God that speaks my promises for you are yea and amen. That means if you're sick in your body today, he calls you healed. That means if you're broken, he calls you restored. That means if you're sick, come on, I want somebody to believe that today. If you're sick, your healing is in this place. If you're afraid, he calls you bold. He calls you walking in authority in the name of Jesus. Ephesians 2.13 tells me that I used to be far away in Christ, but he's brought me near by his blood. Now, if you have been baptized in the name of Jesus, the Bible says that the blood is applied to your life. Whenever you go down in the waters of baptism, in the name of Jesus, that blood that was shed out Calvary, every sin that you have committed, everything that you have done that is wrong, I don't care what it looks like, I don't care if you serve jail time for it, the blood of Jesus is more powerful than any sin. No sin has a stronghold on my life because he calls me redeemed, he calls me saved, he calls me delivered, he calls me set free. You're no longer a slave to sin, but you are free. You are redeemed in the name of Jesus. If he's ever saved you, if you've ever experienced the saving power in the name of Jesus, I want you to just give a shout of praise today. Come on, that's it. You're speaking to the enemy. Come on, that's it. Shout. If he's ever healed your body, if he's ever delivered you from addiction, if he's ever set you free from a mind of fear and anxiety, I want you to give him some praise in this place. Thank you, Lord, that I was once a captive to sin, but today in you, I am free in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody who's been called Esther for too long. Come on, Hadassah. Remember who you are. Remember the freedom that is in the name of Jesus. Not by my mind, not by my power, but by your spirit, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it one more time. Why don't you give him a hand clap of praise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, oh Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, even though Esther was reminded of who her adversary was and even who she was, there was still something left that she needed to be reminded of. Mordecai talked with Esther about the great enemy that is coming, and she knew what was at stake, yet she still kind of went back and forth with Mordecai. And she was like, but I could be killed. Like, she's so afraid knowing that I might not even make it to say this. If I just go up to him, I might even get, not get to tell him what I want to tell him. I might just right there die. But we see something that Mordecai says, very specific. And there's a change in Esther's tone of voice. And before we know, she was saying, I, I just don't think I'm afraid. Just fear was paralyzing her. And she couldn't see that she was called. But we hear Mordecai say these words to Esther. But what if you were called to the kingdom for such a time as this? Suddenly Esther has a noticeable change in her speech. Um, if we could go to verses 15 and 16. It says, then Esther obeyed, which is she urged, she begged. All of a sudden, at first, he's having to convince her. But now she begs, okay, return to Mordecai this answer. Go, gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go unto the king. And so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish... I perish. All of a sudden, right before that, verses right before that, she's 
complaining about how she thinks she's going to die, which is a very valid fear. Any of us, this is not some like crazy thing where it's like, you are a woman of God, get your act together. No, like if I'm in this position, I'm like, yeah, I'd probably be like, um, I might die. But all of a sudden, just a few verses later, she gets to stand and say in boldness, if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. You see, I believe what gave, what gave Esther this confidence and boldness wasn't just because she was called, but it's because she realized who called her. The final thing that we must realize and remind ourselves of is if we're going to be able to walk in this hour in the boldness and authority that God wants for us, in the joy and the liberty that he has, is we've got to remember the God that we serve. We've got to remember the God who has called us for such a time as this. When Esther hears Mordecai speak of her God being for her, her mood dr drastically shifts. The boldness, it's like a fire that just catches a hold of her. She says, if I perish, I perish. And there's a certain type of boldness because I'm sure she heard stories of how her ancestors were delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. I'm sure grandpa and grandpa sat them on her lap, on their lap and they're like, okay, remember, you know, this time I remember when the seas, they parted. And she's like, oh my word, like our God did that. Like, yeah, we saw the seas part. And she heard these stories of how the 10 plagues were sent to deliver their people. But something got a hold of her because she realized that same God that parted those seas, he's stepping into my situation right now. That same God that delivered the people from the Egyptians, those, that same God is stepping in to fight for me right now. And somebody, you've got to get that in your spirit, that that same God who did all those miracles in the past is stepping in and he's calling you right now. He has not left you. Come on, do you realize the God that you serve? The God that you serve, he's got all power, all authority. He says, I'm not just the friend of your mom. I'm not just the friend of your dad. I haven't just saved them, but I'm ordering your steps. He's ordering my steps. He is my friend. He is my strong tower. That means he's my deliverer. If you just would believe that, not, no, I'm not talking about Cameron's. I want you to think for yourself right now. God, you are my friend that in my time, whenever I feel alone, I know you're my friend that sticks closer than a brother. Whenever I need peace, you are my prince of peace. Whenever I need help, you are my counselor. Whenever I need somewhere to run to, you are my strong tower. Whenever all my enemies and my foes are coming, you are my hiding place. You are that for me, God. You are my deliverer. You are my healer. You are my El Shaddai. You are my Prince of Peace, oh God. You are my strong tower. You are my banner. You are my victory. You have set me free. You are my savior. If somebody would just believe that today, then there's no devil in hell that could convince you that you were not made for such a time as this. There's no enemy, there's no sickness, there's no mental disease. There's nothing that could convince you that you are not called for such a time as this. And I want to speak right now to the spirit that's got you so chained up that you can't even lift your hands right now, that you can't even smile anywhere because you feel so captive by the enemy of this world. But God has called you for such a time as this. You could have been born at any time in the past hundreds of centuries, but he says, I'm calling you for such a time as this. This is the end times, church. I don't know what you're waiting on. I don't know what signs we could be waiting on. There's wars occurring. There's rumors of wars. There's violence. There's a racial divide. There are so many things that would try to make us feel like we can't have this, but you know what? This is my hour. God called me, Cameron Staten, for such a time as this. He's called you for such a time as this. 
And that gives me something to shout about today because I've got victory. I've got victory because my God fights for me. My God is my banner. My God is my defender. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. We used to sing a song and said, no matter what the weapon is, I want you to know that I win. No matter what the weapon is, I want you to know that I win. I wonder if somebody could sing that right now to your devil. Look down and say, no matter what the weapon is, I want you to know that I win. I read the back of the book and I win. Isaiah 54, 17, it says, no weapon formed against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. That means that God is my defense. That means God is my vindicator. That means whenever I walk in to the darkness, whenever the world is trying to come against me, that means I, can, I don't have to fight a thing. Because no matter what the weapon is, no matter what the weapon is, I want you to know that I win. Come on, somebody, if you're tired, you're tired of the enemy messing around with your family. You're tired of the enemy messing around with your mind, around with your health. I want you to know, devil, I win. You've tried, you try to keep me here, but right now, if you're even standing, if you're able to be in this building, it's a testimony that he's not done with you. You may say, Cameron, I've been fighting these things for so long, it seems like it's never gonna end, but you're here today. And God has a plan for you today. One, one more moment before we, I believe that God wants to do something today and through our worship, we're gonna crush the heel, we're gonna crush the enemy. But I just wanna share something real quick. There is a flower, it's called the evening primrose. And this beautiful flower, it's earned its name because the flower only blossoms at night. And while most of the plants can be found blooming in the day, the flower can only grow and flourish in the nighttime. Most flowers, you know, that, that's the opposite of when they're growing. But this flower was created to, to bloom and grow and flourish in the night. And you know something about this plant too is its roots, oils, leaves, and seeds, they actually produce healing. They produce medicine. They're used for different types of medicines to heal and strengthen the body. Now, if this flower, it, it could refute, this flower could look at the other flowers around it and say, well, they're growing in the daytime and they're not growing in the night. So that's, that must be, you know, I don't know why I have to grow in the night. But in the nighttime hour is when this flower was created for. And you know what, when everything seemed to be against them, that's exactly when God says, I created you for such a time as this. I know the odds seem stacked against you right now. I know the enemy's been wrestling with your mind. I know the miracle seems like it's never gonna be, never gonna happen. But right now in the midnight hour, in the darkness, is when your victory is gonna happen. Right now, right now, when everything seems impossible, that's when my God specializes in the miraculous. It's in the darkness when it's a miracle for a flower to grow. There's nothing special about a flower that grows in the daytime hour, but I want my God to do something that people turn their heads and say, do you see, how can she be smiling right now? Do you know what's been happening with her family? Why does she have joy right now? But I can dance and I can shout that in my midnight hour, he's calling me to rejoice. Come on, I want somebody to worship right now. I know that all seems stacked against you.
Jesus. Come on, I want somebody right now to worship. Worship right now, because no matter what the weapon is, I win. I win in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you're winning, God. I'm on the winning side. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Come on, I want somebody. We don't have to wait for the music. Since when did we need music to worship? Since when did I need a beat to worship? Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.